sucks and we can all get through this. I love ending on that optimistic note that we all can and we will. And we we're having a lot of um, necessity is the mother of invention. And when we think about things that change us and traumas that change us um, in lighter, easier times, it's easy to forget that it's gritty and hard and it takes a lot of gumption and self-direction. But I really appreciate all the advice and pieces you've given to help direct that gumption so that it can be very productive and nurturing to a really uncertain time. Welcome to the Healing Ground Movement, a podcast dedicated to revolutionizing how we think about our bodies and our health. I'm your host, Dr. Carly Hudson, DC, and I have lived my life in pursuit of holistic healing and care that goes beyond symptom management. If you've been listening and like what you're hearing, head over to your favorite platform and leave us a review so we can reach more people with our important message. Enjoy today's episode. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Healing Ground Movement podcast. Today, we have Dr. Courtney Klein joining us to talk about managing stress within this quarantine situation. Dr. Courtney Klein is a licensed clinical psychologist at the Catalyst Center and the executive director of the Ardent Grove Foundation. She has been providing therapy to individuals, couples, and families for over a decade, as well as supervising students and managing clinical programs in the community. She focuses on teaching and helping people to resolve all forms of trauma in their lives. I am so excited to have Courtney join us today. We're going to be covering a lot of really pertinent information. So welcome, Courtney. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So we always want to get to know everybody a little bit first by asking, when was movement first fun for you? Well, that would have to be the seven years of dance class I took when I was a little girl. Never really went anywhere with the exception of always looking forward to those costumes at the recess. <laughs> But otherwise, that was just kind of the first time I remember having to go to class and stretch and mm-hmm. use some exercise, mostly just silly little girl dancing. And it was but in awesome costumes. <laughs> yeah, really, really good ones back then. Um, and then, you know, I'd say in my adulthood, I try to move every day. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's really taken off since then. A lot of exercise. It really helps me manage my stress. So, yes, a lot of movement, more so after I finished school and could really kind of um, choose my own schedule for things. Uh, are fun costumes still a big factor in your movement? No, no, they're not. <laughs> I just dress appropriately enough in case I run into somebody I know, but mostly I try to be comfortable and avoid people when I'm exercising so that I can just kind of de-stress and be by myself. I feel the same way about it, that it just has to be like presentable because you know, the moment you go out with your hair in a muck and you know, nothing you're going to run into all of your best friends from high school that live in another state. Right. It's just, right. It's just so yeah, work. just enough that I just can enough. not be that embarrassed <laughs> when I exercise. Right. Well, and so not pursuing a life as a dancer, uh, what inspired you into clinical psychology? A couple of different things actually. Um, and I think some of them sound familiar and similar to other therapists, counselors, psychologists. Um, a few of them were that I was always kind of my friend's confidant, uh, the one who could listen and, and not judge. I remember though, growing up in some kind of conservative nuclear household and also my relatives and, and really realizing very early, I just didn't agree with the lines they were drawing about people and groups and 
kind of people who were other than us in mostly minorities of different kinds because I grew up in a very blessed majority kind of culture household and realizing that other people weren't so fortunate. And so I remember kind of frequently contradicting or questioning some of the rules about humans and who deserves what and who we should help and realizing I kind of just want to break that and, and help everybody I can. And so then I kind of went into psychology thinking that I could help families, children, people kind of individually, and then really loved the idea of programming and helping with building teams and building clinics if I could um, whenever I can. And so it kind of all expanded from starting with psychology and the principles of kind of how humans need help and how humans suffer. I love that background though, because I do, we do hear a lot about you know, being the confident and just sort of having a knack for that listening and, and empathy and reflecting. But, but hearing specifically from you, this background of recognizing othering, recognizing privilege around being in that majority and wanting to support individuals around that understanding, I think, is a really beautiful um, background and, and way to get to where you are to help people. Yes, I am <laughs> proud of what I chose. Uh, sometimes it's hard, but I do love and, and I think thrive in hearing about other people's tales, secrets, histories, mm -hmm. and being able to hold that for them, which I find that that is different than say mm -hmm. my husband or friends who are in different careers saying, how do you do that all day? And really <laughs> it fills me up to see if I can kind of be in the position to contain, hold and offer up something for somebody else. I think that that's a really kind of blessed experience, not to sound too frou-frou <laughs> about it, but a blessed experience to say that I get to be the one to kind of sit with this secretive stuff, this internal stuff that may never have been expressed and see if I can do something with it for the person. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it puts you in a really unique and privileged spot. And as, as someone who has done her share of therapy, I really appreciate um, providers who do that and, and take on that burden, especially in times like this, when we're all in so much uncertainty that you can help maintain that container for those of us who so need it while navigating all of this yourself. We are busy right now as counselors and we're glad to be. Um, I'm just a quick little plug in that is that we were able to both of the, uh, the foundation that I oversee mm -hmm. and also the practice that I work for, we were able to convert to all virtual um, telehealth kind of methods in order to mm -hmm. continue our work and to keep seeing people, new people, current clients, anybody who in this time feels like they might benefit from being able to sit and talk with somebody kind of privately alone in a space such as a virtual session. But yeah. thankfully, we have an industry as um, counselors and therapists that we could convert over to being able to continue to work, continue to help everyone, new people, again, anybody. So I feel thankful for that piece that's only just happened. Yeah. So well, and because you're, it's, it's such an amazing thing to be able to do. And we were talking a little bit before we press, press play that, um, that this becomes so much of the second aspect to, yes, life and death situation, notwithstanding, we want people alive, we want them to stay vital, but there is so much more to quality of life. Yes. And we are being put in a really unique situation where our quality of life and how we're managing our day-to-day -day in whatever level of health we are currently in or, or privilege that we're currently in, it's still uniquely challenging. 
Um, and so I really appreciate you being on the front lines of that, you and your colleagues. Um, Thank you. And before we kind of dive into all these different stresses and things that we're experiencing now, I do want to ask you, because you do have two um, separate, um, I don't want to say companies, two separate um, centers that you're working with. Can you tell us a little bit about um, Catalyst versus the Arden Foundation? Sure, sure. So the Catalyst Center is a group practice centered in Cherry Creek North area, but we're actually able to see people from all over the state now with the kind of mm -hmm. telehealth model, but had been having clients drive from many parts of Colorado, just depending on the frequency of sessions in order to just be able to provide help. And so the Catalyst Center is full of psychologists and other types of therapists. We have some uh, marriage and family therapists, social workers, um, mm -hmm. counselors, and we are all um, additionally trained in providing um, some pretty specific trauma focused work because we all believe that various forms of trauma has have really impacted people. I actually joke that I wish there were more words for the word trauma in the English language because I think kind of technically or in those broad terms, um, a lot of people could deny that they experienced a major trauma, but we also find that a lot of difficult experiences for people are real minor traumas that do add up, that do continue to uh, make pause for people that continue to impact. And so we mm -hmm. all kind of use a trauma lens and use EMDR specific treatments as well as other kinds of treatments for the various cases we see. We can see children, families, adults, uh, couples. We do psychological testing and assessments. Mm -hmm. We use neurofeedback if anybody's interested in that. And then as well, um, we specialize about half of all of our caseloads in the perinatal and postpartum kind of period for uh, women and then also their greater family children mm -hmm. related to that. And so that's really a kind of a fun area because there's a lot of um, health that can come out of that and a lot of good recovery after the kind of postpartum time. And that's all types of diagnoses that go on during then, not just the postpartum depression. And so that's a kind of a full fee, although there's a sliding scale and there's some scholarship opportunities, mm -hmm. um, thriving group practice. And so in order to be able to see other types of um, cases, other people who may not be able to afford something like the Catalyst Center um, or who wouldn't otherwise have sought therapy, then we developed a foundation that is a nonprofit that I oversee and it contains a clinic called the Ardent Grove Clinic. And that is where we see people for less than half the cost of what we um, charge at the Catalyst Center. And it's a smaller team. There are fewer specialties, but still able to see children, adults, individuals, couples, families. We can actually provide psychological testing as well. And our clinicians are EMDR trained and so have a trauma focus. Mm -hmm. um, the, different, the main difference is that our clinicians are actually doctoral level students from the University of Denver currently, but we'd be interested in taking students from all over who already have a master's degree and are working towards their doctorate. So they have a great amount of education, um, but are working for us in order to receive our own training for them and to kind of look at the Catalyst Center and what we do there. And so they are our clinicians at Ardent Grove, and that's how I can keep my costs down <laughs> through that, as well as other funding. We have donors. Um, we do some fundraising. And so it's really great to be able to say that we can provide kind of all levels of care. Mm -hmm. Both of those, as I mentioned before, are now virtual. And so uh, a client could attend sessions through the Catalyst Center or, if appropriate, through the Art and Grove Foundation. I love that you have both of these centers going because it is, it's a conversation that happens a lot in chiropractic and I know in counseling as well at various levels is that 
you know, so much of this care happens outside of the insurance paradigm. Oh, yes. And that increases the costs and increases the, the um, privilege of being able to receive it and how to um, make it accessible to everybody while still being viable for the person who is providing it and that really real economic need to, you know, have it be supported by combining these two and having the foundation um, that that is so well supported really levels the playing field as much as you can to provide really critical um, support. So I just think that's fantastic. Thank you. Yes, we think so. We don't want a barrier to receiving treatment to be mm -hmm. financial. And so we slide our fees all the way down to $5. Um, both both clinics actually do kind of depending on the circumstance. And if we mm -hmm. want to see multiple family members where then a family is paying for multiple people a week to come for therapy. Mm -hmm. um, and so we don't want that to be a, a barrier. And then as well, mm -hmm. we don't want the barrier of travel. And so we're able to do that in this COVID-19 time is that mm -hmm. nobody has to travel anywhere. And so even more people ideally can be kind of working with us, meeting with us online. That's fantastic. And, and one little piece that you just sort of mentioned in there that I think is going to become a nugget to what we're talking about here today is you talked about many people within one family is having, you know, multiple people talking and coming together. And that's something that I've always loved about therapy and counseling and family therapists. That was my first career goal was to be a family therapist mm -hmm. is creating, looking at the whole system of what is happening, you know, that we don't live in isolation from our community or isolation from our family. And oftentimes when you have one person struggling within a family system, their change is going to impact other people within that system. And it becomes sort of a group activity sometimes. And I like the, the, um, the catalyst and then the Arden Grove also values that sort of aspect to it. Oh, yes. We have so many great stories, either ongoing therapy or success stories, if we can already say that the therapy has ended, where we were able to collaborate as clinicians down the hallway with the permission of the various family members, the couple, if the two um, partners in the relationship are seeing different therapists. And it's mm -hmm. just so helpful to be able to talk and collaborate. And then in Ardent Grove, we do that as well with our team of therapists. But just the idea of two professionals, two doctors, two providers being able to talk mm -hmm. about your own health care, mental health care is a great thing. I don't know who wouldn't want that. So we, yeah. we try to collaborate as much as we can and see if we can continue to kind of help other people in the family or in the system. Mm -hmm. and, mm -hmm. Wonderful. And, and now even more so because, you know, those of us with, within a family unit with, within one house, that there's a whole lot more time spent together oh, or yeah. the additional struggle of being isolated from family members that now we can't go see them. And that uh, puts a different kind of lens or strain on the relationship as well. All of our systems are being tugged and pulled in a lot of different ways. Yes, absolutely. Differently than ever with this mm -hmm. current pandemic. Yeah. And you said something earlier that I really think is an important um, statement, and that is the, the word for trauma and the word for trauma in English being that is what it is. And we, I think, culturally or certainly I, without putting a whole lot more thought into it, am thinking, you know, catastrophic trauma. We're thinking, you know, the people who got seriously ill with this or, you know, back to 9-11 or your house, like, big trauma. Mm -hmm. And we start to think that 
trauma can become a zero sum game. And I have certainly spent time, you know, on my own here going, well, you know, I, I'm not about to lose my house. I have financial stability in this, you know, so what if I can't do my job? So what if my whole life has changed? My trauma doesn't matter compared to, you know, insert anyone whose level is high, higher than yeah. mine. But um, there is certainly something to be said for whatever your level of trauma is, whatever your level of stress is, is valid. And I think definitely it, it, it's judgment free because it's mm -hmm. what our bodies have responded to. And it's what our brains registered as a difficulty, a danger, a crisis. Mm -hmm. And what we understand from trauma theory and how it has stayed in the body so to speak, is that we have that fight, flight, or freeze response. Um, mm -hmm. Freeze is getting a lot more kind of information and attention these days. And it's a really neat thing to think about how sometimes freeze ends up being the biggest response, let's say, an animal needed to have in mm -hmm. the world, in nature. So a rabbit that's already in the teeth of a larger animal cannot fight and cannot flee. Mm -hmm. And so is going to freeze, is going to play dead in order to try to um, get out of that situation through those means. And so our own bodies also, as animals, choose fight, flight, or freeze in any level of traumatic situation, just depending on what we responded to. So mm -hmm. my trauma response might be different than another trauma person's trauma response. Mm -hmm. But the biggest emphasis I would make on that, in addition to there's all sorts of levels of trauma, and it really depends on what the person is stuck with at some mm -hmm. level, is that our bodies also don't get to choose which one we do, fight, flight, or freeze. And so there's mm -hmm. a lot of shame around, um, often around people who have some sort of trauma history where they didn't fight back, where they didn't speak up, where they just froze, mm -hmm. or where they kind of... Um, numbed out. And what we understand is, first of all, that's a really common way to have responded to something mm -hmm. um, and that our bodies didn't choose it, or excuse me, that we didn't consciously choose it. Our yeah. bodies chose it in order to survive. And yet we categorize not fighting back as a weaker response. And instead it's an amazing, it's a perfect response when that's when our bodies deemed what was necessary. And so even with the little traumas, so we call that little T trauma and big T trauma. So at least we separated trauma wording through capitalization, but otherwise we still are using the same word. So even in little T traumas, there's times when we did not do anything but mm -hmm. kind of stick it out. And that was actually what I believe the most helpful response that the person could do in the moment. But what we can do in therapy mm -hmm. with a person who kind of knows what to do, how to take you through, how to contain, how to put you back together, if that's what's needed afterwards, and often it is, we can go back and kind of resolve some of that little T, big T trauma, some of the times that a person froze, some of the times they actually fought. Hopefully it's not the same person who had to go through all of that. Um, <laughs> but that we can kind of actually work through and resolve things that happened 40 years ago because it just depends on if the body stuck to it and said, mm -hmm. never again, is that gonna happen to me? which means that your body and brain aren't going to forget it. So we still have nightmares even years later, or we might have 
um, sensory responses like a certain smell reminded us of it or we start to feel anxious we start to get panicky mm -hmm. in a moment that is not supposed to be panicky as yeah. if there's a tiger in the room and there really isn't a tiger nobody else is even responding to it but our bodies are re-triggered because of that amazing ability we have in a trauma response to say i am not forgetting this and this time i'm not going to go there and this time i'm going to not let that happen to me and so we sometimes strangely have these big trauma responses or even little sensations that are years, years separated from what happened to us. And that's the type of work we like to do to just see mm -hmm. if we can still kind of help a person to resolve even more and pull that response in that experience. Yeah. Well, and it makes so much sense because our bodies and our brains, and I know this is, we, we had this um, podcast on the books before the COVID pandemic came to the United States, and we were so excited to dive into trauma in the book. We were going to have some fun. I know. So we're <laughs> going to do a little here, and then I know we're going to come back and have another conversation. All right. But it's really important to acknowledge, um, you, made, you made two points that I really just want to hit on there, is that the trauma that lives in the body and that especially when we start talking about big T and little T, a lot of things that are happening in the here and now in these stressful situations might be tapping into some of those big T, little T traumas that have happened in our past. And it does live in our body because our brain, you know, our human instincts is really just stay alive, stay in search of food, reproduce. And, and when it comes down to this animalistic side of us, we want our brains are trying to protect us so you know out in the mm -hmm. wild it might be that color berry that smell of rancid meat that sound in the bush but here you know in this modernized conceptual world it's going to be the inability to leave your house mm -hmm. or the smell of a certain kind of food cooking that was maybe associated with it but all or alone frankly being alone yeah. and all of these things is your body saying, last time this happened, it was not good. Even okay. though we can now, you know, we could get to the point of conceptually separating them, but sometimes that does require a bit of help and a little bit of outside perspective. Mm -hmm. And the body says, I'm gonna send up these warning signs. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have a central nervous system response, faster heart rate, maybe shakiness, mm -hmm. maybe tension, maybe this, um, so for a fight or a flight, maybe just um, the limbs primed to respond mm -hmm. um, where there were some signals that the body then started to react to in that it's coming again, or I need to be prepared this time. I am sensing that another threat is coming towards me. And then if I refer to that freeze, response to, which I should say is actually part of this polyvagal nervous area of our system we have. The polyvagal theory is what I'm talking about. Mm -hmm. um, and if we are having those responses um, with that freeze or polyvagal nerve, what mm -hmm. we're going to do is start to kind of um, calm it down. We're going to start to slow down. And so we may seem like we're having an under response to a trigger. Mm -hmm. And that could even be that trauma response where we're going into that freeze withdraw mode. So sometimes when we see a person's trauma response, we actually see depression. We actually see slowing down. We see getting sleepy. So mm -hmm. those things when the central nervous system is not actually trying to fire up because of the warning signs and because we're sending out the, the flares and the signals, mm -hmm. sometimes what the system's doing to respond to a impending trauma, whether or not it's real anymore or actually in the room or actually a threat, 
is mm -hmm. that we start to slow the system down. And again, we can't choose that. That's mm -hmm. what our body and our brains are choosing to do, to protect. And I'm so glad you brought up that misconception on the, um, the slowing down response because yeah, as, I mean, as long as I can remember back to any kind of nervous system lecture, it's always fight or flight, rest and digest. And that's all, that's all we ever really got covered. And the polyvagal system and the vagus nerve are getting a lot of attention and research right now, which is so cool because it's so fascinating. But it does let us tap into a lot of that um, reptilian brain, a lot of that lower lower functioning brain stem and some people would argue that that's actually our wisest because that's more of our innate sense mm -hmm. but the to have this freeze aspect and to talk about the shame that is so often associated that uh with that and i think we hear those stories most often in in stories of abuse that why mm -hmm. why did you freeze why didn't you fight back if you didn't fight back truly you didn't care <laughs> when the real misconception there is just like you outlined um, that animal caught in the jaws, fighting back would tear, you know, they'd tear themselves on the teeth. They would mm -hmm. prove to the animal that's captured them that they're still alive and worth chomping down on harder. Mm -hmm. That freeze aspect serves us in the same way where fighting will only put us in more danger and our body can see that and choose that to try and protect us. And associating right. shame around it, you know, is just, it, is adding insult to injury in many cases. Yes, the way the world all these decades and centuries has kind of responded to a mental health situation, a trauma, a person then having what we now in recent times have labeled PTSD mm -hmm. um, or having mental illness of other forms, depression, anxiety, and then the more severe ones has not been respectful. It's not been understood. It has not been appreciated. It has not been honored that our bodies have responded to this in order to continue to protect ourselves. Mm -hmm. And then over time, we could, in a way, thinking about this, get exhausted therefore depressed about how our bodies continue to act or what has happened to us mm -hmm. that we remember. Um, and it's hard to kind of get fired up again and it's hard to get out of depression. So that can happen over time or anxiety. And so in this chronic state, which is actually what we're going to talk about that we want people to mm -hmm. um, work against and not have this happen over the course of us having to kind of stay sheltering in place and mm -hmm. coping with this pandemic and coping with this concern that we may all be getting sick soon with this um, mm -hmm. virus. If we have this chronic stress on the body to go back to talking about the body, then our bodies are gonna get a little more used to being so revved up, a little more used to having to be in that fight or flight or any sort of kind of heightened state to protect ourselves. And then that can become almost overworked and almost new wiring. So then we're constantly anxious and we feel constantly primed or unable to relax, constantly mm -hmm. irritated, concerned, um, um, jittery, um, ready to kind of snap. And again, that's our body trying to be ready at all times. But mm -hmm. what we understand is that then it's kind of hard to switch back out of that. And so that's where we see this chronic anxiety or we see this chronic PTSD, these chronic kind of areas of tension. That's what we're trying to prevent by better responding to this COVID situation and also just separately kind of thinking about how people develop this through mm -hmm. trauma and then through kind of constant um, feeling that way or not being able to get treatment mm -hmm. or understanding by family and friends about what had happened to them or what their body's doing now. 
Yeah, that our body is really meant to adapt to whatever situation that we're in, body and mind. And right now we are all attempting to adapt to something that is extreme and very different than our day-to-day -day lives. Now that's not to say that many of us haven't had an adaptive behavior to something that was ongoingly stressful and anxious or causing that freeze depressive reaction before this, but again, here's a big shift. And whether it is doubling down on what you were experienced before, um, lighting a new fire under you, or if for lucky some, perhaps the break that you needed, um, this is different. And I'd like to take a little bit to sort of normalize um, what is so stressful about this. For everybody sheltering at home, that in itself is, can be stressful. Um, that there's a lot of new stresses coming out here that might have that little T, but they're still valid. Mm -hmm. Well, and I, I think there's a few areas that we could call kind of different categories of stress mm -hmm. going on. Um, and I have been managing it myself because mm -hmm. I as well am stuck in my house, um, feeling stuck, frankly. Um, and so it's that idea, number one, of this stuckness. We don't have any understanding or prediction really of exactly when this gets to kind of start to resolve. I don't think we're going to be bursting forth from our houses all at the same time saying it's all over, but it does not seem like we're on that gradual upswing yet, which is going to be helpful for anybody to know when is this going to end? When will it change, start to change back? Um, how long do I have to do this? because many, almost all human beings can adjust to something temporarily. It's really hard to do something forever. Mm -hmm. um, and so right now we have this feeling of this unending, is this kind of forever? I think we're getting information that it's not going to be, but it would be even easier if we had information for exactly when mm -hmm. we could kind of go back to those lives we were leading. And so that's a major stressor, I think, that hangs over everyone is kind of, here's another day. When is this going to be finished? And we don't have that answer. And it's uh -huh. helpful to tell anybody, even a kiddo, when something is going to end, when we can um, resolve this or, or um, get to the other side. And so that's one big area of stress. I think another one ends up being what we hear from these working parents who also have children who are needing to do that homeschooling education plan each day, which is just um, needing to do a full-time job while also doing some sort of full-time teaching. There are a lot of parents who were not going to be stay-at-home parents for various reasons. There are a lot of parents who didn't want to do teaching at home and didn't want to do home education and we're all kind of needing to do a lot of that at the same time as those other things we were already signed up for our day jobs our full-time careers um raising multiple kiddos at multiple uh ages of education where now a person is managing various curriculums at the same time while they're staring at their homes that need to be tidied up or cleaned every once in a while or frequently. It also depends on that level of concern for cleanliness right now and spreading any sort of illness. Mm -hmm. So there's a lot of things to balance all at the same time. And I think that's another major kind of column category of stress is everything just got thrown into the house. Yep. And we are asked to be doing more than one job, maybe three roles at the same time, at least every day mm -hmm. with again, that um, unending kind of quality to it right now. That you throw uncertainty on top of a lack of preparedness and whether this is as simple as 
I didn't make it to the craft store before everything shut down and now I have nothing to entertain my toddler or I never became an early childhood education slash high school, middle school right. teacher. And now I have to make them learn math. What? <laughs> How? Yes. It's a there, lot. There, there, you, we have all been asked to take on these roles with a moment's notice and very little time to prepare and settle in and say, we're not sure for how long, but time to create a new routine doing three jobs you've never done before. Okay, go. And that's, to not call that a stressful situation, I'd, I'd like to meet the person that doesn't find that stressful because I have some questions and I need some advice. <laughs> right, so people who were otherwise ba balancing things pretty well, I mean, we have daily stress, we have ups and downs in life, um, mm -hmm. could most definitely be experiencing all of this stress right now and then those who were in some sort of difficult position beforehand large or small mm -hmm. previous depression or anxiety previous trauma or just kind of busy life this is incredibly difficult right now mm -hmm. across every type of person yeah and and to value again that it's not a zero-sum kind of game where my my level of stress and trauma does not negate another's and another's doesn't negate mine. We all have to accept the, the situation that we are sitting in and have, I would hope um, to foster a little bit of awareness of how is our body responding to this stress? Are you feeling more anxious? Are you snapping at people more? Are you quick to correct because that's the only way you can fight? Or are you doing that freeze and withdrawing and finding yourself sleepier and harder to manage all the things that are being put in your life. All of those are valid responses, if I may. So I'm going to add a bit more to that yeah, list. Just in what I'm hearing from my clients and what I'm hearing from my friends. Also engaging in more drinking behaviors every night because what does it matter? We could have a few more glasses or even start drinking a little earlier, maybe some other types of substances because we're at home, we're safe, we're not driving anywhere. Um, we're bored, we are stressed. Mm -hmm. And um, it's easy to kind of reach for that. Many of us haven't even put on real clothes. And so the idea of, you know, what, what does it matter? What's the point? I'll just sleep in tomorrow or I'll go ahead and shower halfway through the day because I'm working from home anyway. I'll mm -hmm. exercise later. It all just kind of bleeds together. And, and those are responses to this stress too. This kind of like, it's not a laziness, but it's a, it's a, um, let me just get through the day. Let me just do what I can do to kind of seek a little bit of pleasure or a little bit of relief or a little bit mm -hmm. of numbing out um, without that kind of boundary of, hey, I've got to really pull it together tomorrow because I have a big something to do outside of the house or mm -hmm. get my kids off to school and then get into my office. And since that's not coming tomorrow, and again, we don't know when it's coming again, mm -hmm. uh, we tend to also just kind of, slow things down with either um, unhealthy activities in mm -hmm. that way, or we speed things up with agitation and irritability and the things that you were kind of saying about snapping and being quicker to respond to things in a way that is just coming from stress. Mm -hmm. And I like that you bring up the point of not having a, and we'll just call this like the amorphous tomorrow, the big T tomorrow. <laughs> when another T. Another T, <laughs> all sorts of T's. Um, you know, uh, the normalcy tomorrow, not having that to punctuate because of course we all have had these behaviors of some degree of the, the letting off steam 
you know, I'm going to go out with my friends on a Friday night because tomorrow's Saturday and I got two days till Monday. Exactly. We're good. But Monday is a very long way away, an uncertain amount of time away right now. And so we could have endless Friday nights if we chose. And that becomes the, the difficult part of how are we going to thrive and how are we going to cope when our typical schedule has been, you know, disintegrated in many ways. Mm-hmm. Do you have um, thoughts on ways to sort of thrive in all of this situation when for a lot of us, it has to be self-imposed. I mean, I find that I'm really grateful to record these podcasts because at least a few days a week, I'm putting on makeup. And that to me feels normal to just put on a shirt, I promise the pants match too, and a little bit of makeup and do my hair a little bit to have that, to me, a familiar, I'm gonna start calling it not normal, but a familiar punctuation in my week. Um, Thoughts about what that could look like for all of us. Absolutely. And, and I think the biggest emphasis there is it's going to be a different schedule, mm-hmm. but a schedule nonetheless. We all respond well, even in that idea of we do not know this amorphous kind of end point that's coming. We do not know when that is or how it will not necessarily immediately end, but start to gradually come back um, to our normal lives. That is a helpful structure that we don't get to have. So instead, we can add structure to our day. Mm-hmm. And any aged person feels better with a plan, with a um, end point and a starting point to small activities in the day. And so I really encourage that we could build some sort of schedule or structure to our days while we're all at home sheltering. So this is not the same type of day on a weekend where we would. Mm-hmm have gone to work and then come home for the weekend, Saturday and Sunday. This is not gonna be the same type of design as working from home without all of these other aspects going on. Now Mm -hmm. we have everyone in the same house and we have everybody needing to do different things like continuing to work, starting and ending a school day online and, and the other things that come with this sheltering. And so the schedule may look different, but I encourage people to build a schedule. Ideas about that would be knowing your kiddos, when is going to be the best blocks of the day when they're the most focused, when they can be the most patient or tolerant or better listeners. Often that's the morning time for not only children, but adults, but to think about what are the most kind of intense things we need to do in a day, maybe the academics or maybe for the grown-up, it could be that they can get more of their work done during that chunk of time when their kids are more responsive to playing on their own or concentrating on something for the longest amount of time. And so building those two together mm-hmm. um, and then taking more breaks is another part of these schedules because there is that chronic, when is this ending, that chronic, um, this doesn't feel comfortable to me. And we haven't really gotten into it, but that also concern for physical safety and health right now that a lot of people are constantly kind of thinking about. Another big one is how much news we are exposed to and that chronic piece of information that all of these kind of difficult things with the pandemic are going on. Mm -hmm. We're going to get more exhausted, whether or not we're counting, focusing on it, counting on it, looking at it. Instead, it's just kind of hanging there. And so more breaks will counteract, hopefully, Mm -hmm. kind of chronic kind of difficulty or or, um, arousal that we keep um, experiencing with this situation. 
And I think the exhaustion point is a really good thing to bring up, especially when we're talking when we're talking about the population of people who are really concerned about contracting the virus and this the there's the stress of vigilance that comes with that, um, particularly because with this virus, because it is flu-like in nature, fatigue becomes one of the symptoms, and that that I've caught myself having a very exhausted day and going, okay, what kind of fatigue is this? And to step back and look at what my life has shifted to and having that permission of fatigue is also a symptom of your life right now. Right. Rather than, Mm -hmm. oh dear, have I caught the virus? Mm -hmm. Uh, Or if I have something else going on, do I need to go into a medical facility because then that may expose me to other things. And so Mm -hmm. sometimes it's just fatigue. And what we can do is be more conscious about the schedule all day mm-hmm. in order to also incorporate, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to feel fatigued. How do I get the best rest or how do I take the accurate amount of adequate, excuse me, amount of breaks mm-hmm. um, that is different during this COVID sheltering. A big piece I would add actually is that social component that needs to be built into your schedule too. This de-stresses us to have connection to other human beings yeah. um, to feel like we're not entirely isolated. But something I want to add to that, because I know that that has been expressed and recommended for all of these weeks at this point, And there's so many ways to connect virtually mm-hmm. um, dance parties, songs, <laughs> storytelling, mm-hmm. um, happy hours, again, in a, super normal, healthy way um, mm-hmm. compared to what I said before regarding using it as a coping skill and yeah. out of kind of like uh, apathy for what's going on and, and de-stressing. But yeah. we don't have to all become teetotalers. It's just right. right. I didn't <laughs> come across that way either. Um, <laughs> but building in these activities, it is really easy to stop doing the social things. Mm-hmm. And so I want to kind of warn against that. A couple of things I'm hearing now over the last few days has been all we do is talk about the newest information regarding COVID. And mm-hmm. all we're doing is comparing difficult stories related to COVID and related to how relating to how tough it is to be at home and be sheltering and the homeschooling and all of that is tough. We absolutely acknowledge that. Mm-hmm. But I still like people to connect and talk about something. So if it's talking about that, let's still do it. And mm-hmm. if a way to kind of talk about new topics. Um, I've heard of virtually cooking together at various houses and then sitting down and eating together. And it's cooking different things and eating different things, but it's kind of doing it simultaneously. So there's also chit chat. Mm-hmm. Um, kiddos playing games across the internet or um, being able to color in their own houses while they're on the screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, those are all really helpful to stay connected to people. And again, if it's about a COVID discussion, please still do it because what we could easily do now that we really only have to get dressed from the top up, <laughs> we um, can just kind of come downstairs or upstairs just to connect with somebody, that's really easy then to not do. It's easy Mm -hmm. to just shut that computer, turn off that phone and put it down and not have really talked to anybody outside of ourselves or our family members each Mm -hmm. day. Um, I know that when I'm headed to an event that I committed to, I know that people on the other end had prepared for it. They knew I was coming. I knew that I made the commitment and Mm -hmm. I'm more likely going to follow through and be there. And if it's something as easy as, you know what, I just don't feel like doing a virtual whatever today, I can easily shut my computer. That's a risk for them actually developing more isolation. So something I'd like to build into that schedule for people is building in social time. It doesn't have to be every day, but hopefully it's fairly consistent. Mm -hmm. 
not going to notice at times is that we didn't speak to people um, for, for quite some time. And then it does feel like a weight or some sort of emptiness with us. So that's yeah. an important part of the schedule too. And I like the unique um, piece that you brought out there that there is, um, you know, in, in life before sheltering at home, there is this already built in, already assumed in whatever culture you are in and living, um, a cultural responsibility of I committed, I'm going to get dressed to the certain level, which is definitely you know different here in Denver from when I lived on the East Coast, but we've all agreed on, you know, getting out of our underwear to whatever next level. Mm -hmm. And we're going to arrive. And these are, again, just like everything else that we're experiencing, all new rules for socializing. And because they're not built in and we are developing them as we go, it yeah. is so much easier to just close the computer and just say, never mind, you know. But as you build that routine, it becomes more sustainable, like all the other routines that we talk about building. There's a little bit of onus on yourself for that creativity and that initiative. But once you build that dependability, you know, you have something else to lean on outside of yourself as well. Absolutely. I think there's some waves of this social connection. I think it was really cool, hopefully, or at least interesting to check out the dance parties that were going on nationwide and some mm -hmm. yoga and some other types of physical Kind of things that people were doing connected on the computer and then i think the children's activities were kind of unique and fun to find and then when the school curriculums came out at least here in colorado and mm -hmm. there was this added again as we've said pressure for homeschooling kiddos while also maintaining the workday i think some of those social pieces slipped off and continuing to check into those dance parties and those other things that are going on so i encourage people to build those back in as soon as you get your feet underneath you with mm -hmm. these responsibilities we have at home with maybe that new structure hopefully that we've talked about please build those back in in case those slipped away because they're still going on and they're even more important in the weeks in the middle of yeah. what we're doing with the sheltering yeah. And I like you, your mention of building it in. This is all finding those layers. And just like if anyone has moved or started a new job or started a new um, education program, you know, university or what have you. Yeah. Everything kind of falls apart for that first week while you're figuring out your class schedule, figuring out your coworkers. You just need to figure this out. But once you figure it out, we're out in the world and we have that external pressure or desire to get back to what was familiar. And it's not gonna look the same, but we still need to have it. We still need to have that social. And I love the word you used on the social piece of chit chat, of having it be in a sense lighter or different. And it reminded me of when I was a new mother and my husband and I had to come up with a rule that we, when we went out on our dates, when we put those back in our schedule after getting used to the new role of parenting, yeah. that we had a rule that on dates or on our dinners, we would not talk about parenting logistics. That consumed enough of our day the rest of the time that we needed to remember what we liked to do, what we wanted to just chit chat about. Mm -hmm. And whether we were talking about the food in front of us, the ambiance around us, or in this case, we could get a coloring page or what have you, it needed to be lighter and it needed to be different. And it was really effortful to have to focus away from what was oh, all consumed. Sure, but then helpful. Right. Mm. Yeah. yeah. We got better at it the more we practiced. Mm. Yes. So. And so this is, that's a great kind of maybe summary um, mm. regard, statement regarding this type of question we were just kind of answering and then mm. espousing on as we do, <laughs> um, conversing back and forth is 
this schedule that you're building that I'd like you to have, or even how a person is feeling this week versus next is, I don't think anybody necessarily very well yet because of time mm -hmm. has settled into this COVID-19 routine. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of people end up still kind of fighting against, I don't really want to get used to this. Yeah. Um, this should end soon, or maybe tomorrow I'll hear that we are going to be swinging out of this. And it, that leads to this kind of pressure that doesn't need to be there regarding then playing catch up or then not really being that organized or then things falling off because we didn't really prepare for them in a full day's thought. Mm -hmm. uh, because why do I need to settle into this? This is going to be temporary, I'm sure. And even if it is, a person feels more empowered when they know what they're doing, when they feel like they chose it, when they feel like they had control over it, uh -huh. plan. And so that is kind of that underlying theme of why I really recommend that people have these ideas and then can count on their schedule. Mm -hmm. I love it. Well, and so what are some other stressors that you're hearing and coming up in, in either your sessions or in your personal life that you're hearing people are struggling with right now? So another big question um, that I, I wanted to make sure I was bringing up is this concern for kiddos for um, losing some of their social skills, kind of thinking of how I just said, please maintain your own social mm -hmm. outlets and, and um, regularity with that because it's so important for human beings. I hear from parents that they're concerned that their kiddo now, it's just kind of a screen um, for interacting with any friends and family and also then receiving the education um, with curriculum if they are old enough or in that age range to have one. And I like to say that this all is kind of state dependent and we are gonna bounce back with what we were previously doing a few weeks or months ago, depending on how long this takes. So um, I may not have a lot of, if I were a kiddo, I may not have a lot of um, indication that I'm still gonna jump into a game or uh, mm -hmm. organize tag or play some hide and seek or even just kind of say hello and greet somebody and, and introduce mm -hmm. myself. But when we're out there back at the parks when they reopen or there is a game going on that a kiddo could jump into or they're back in school and they're at recess or entering into the classroom, mm -hmm. all of that is gonna come right back. It really is about the state that a person ends up being in. And so the state of being back at school is going to bring up all of the things that that kiddo was already doing. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that we do kind of have this change of behavior, again, a change of routine, and it is going to then clearly change back because we will not actually be at home attempting to be social. We will be back at school. We mm -hmm. will be back at the sporting events and the, the playgrounds and the parks. And so I really want to kind of guarantee to people that um, a lot of our kiddos gusto and energy and sociability does come back when the world opens up again and we're out of these houses. And it speaks to the adaptability of children. And I think really worth mentioning that kids are at an age where what they are learning is adaptability. Oh, and yeah. There is a unique opportunity in this. And of course, we want to talk about the big T trauma and the little T trauma. We don't want to put too much on them that becomes inappropriate. But kids learning to deal with stresses and learning to deal with changes and an ability to adapt, adapt is an important part of their development. And so having it be age appropriate for whatever kiddo you have in your home, you know, and that wouldn't be CNN for your three-year-old, but somewhere in there, this can become dare I say, almost a positive learning opportunity for them, a positive adaptability when managed, when managed to the best of our ability. 
And let's go into that for a second, because mm -hmm. that's another topic that I'm frequently talking about, uh, it seems, these days with my therapy sessions and my friends and family, and also um, attempting to kind of bring it into my own household, which mm -hmm. is that we can take this as an opportunity. Dare I become too kind of silver lining and, mm -hmm. and optimistic about this, but sitting down with your family and saying, what can we do during this time? What have we always wanted to do in this house? What kind of food have we always wanted to learn to cook? Because mm -hmm. we have so many ways we can order food to our homes, cookbooks to our homes, get recipes online. Um, thankfully, we do have the benefit of all these delivery services, including Amazon, where we can um, order craft projects. We can um, kind of develop out um, new ideas for redoing something in the house. But building that plan as a family, what have we always wanted to do? Or should we make a camping trip downstairs and kind of pulling that stuff together and making it unique, but we're planning to go camping this weekend in our house and making these kind of plans, but joining the adventure together as a family. That's very different than again, waiting for this to just be finished and feeling overly stressed and overwhelmed and that we can't kind of get on top of this. So ideas such as camping downstairs, um, having breakfast for dinner um, to plan for. Mm -hmm. I like the idea of costume or Halloween night um, where <laughs> everybody diner gets to get dressed up and be in a costume. I'm hearing from other families that the house projects are going on, a kid's redoing their bedroom. Mm -hmm. um, pretty easy to get paint right now actually um, with good protective gear and things like that. Yeah. Um, there's still the ability to do gardening depending on what area you live in, what area of the country or what the weather currently is in Colorado, which is changing back and forth right now. <laughs> play until um, Thursday. <laughs> but, but agreeing to do that as a team and agreeing to say, what could we accomplish right now mm -hmm. while we are sheltering and what could we make of this can actually be a really great list to put together with your family. Well, and again, that speaks to about the idea of um, ritual schedule and whatever control we can assume. And you know, we had a podcast a couple of weeks ago with Lori Daniels, who's in early childhood education through Waldorf, and we spoke um, really extensively about children needing that rhythm and needing mm -hmm. that sense of control. And and so on behalf of our kids and on behalf of our family, we can come up with even something that starts to look like long-term plans. Because I know that is, again, the uncertainty is hard for the kids to understand as much as it is for the parents. So this idea of we are going to have this camping trip in our basement or backyard, or we are going to have Saturday morning um, is going to become pancake morning there is something to look forward to at the degree to which we can control it. And it is unique and different. Friday night will be costume night at the dinner table. Please come in your finest feathered attire. <laughs> Plan towards yeah. something and let it be joyful and chit chatty. <laughs> yes, we are going to have a trolls night soon with a new trolls movie. And we're trying to figure out food to go along with it. Um, and such as different kinds of cookies, frankly pretty much cookies, but also um, <laughs> getting dressed up in some sort of troll's garb. And mm -hmm. my daughter is going to be thrilled about this idea. And I think I may surprise her just to, again, like mm -hmm. see if I can build in a surprise during this time. Mm -hmm. um, so getting creative about what's going on, what's, what's coming up on TV or what's, um, uh, what holiday is about to be here. Mm -hmm. uh, we can actually plan for it and, and be in front of it, be yeah. excited. 
Yeah. And, and I think speaking to the spring holidays, because there are quite a few of them happening right now. My family just celebrated Passover last night, um, Easter coming up on Sunday and all these will be over by the time this airs, but it is hard to see these ritual times in your life being so different, not including family the way it used to, but again, getting creative in what we can control and what we can do at home to still make it feel special, to still hold the space for something that is a little bit different than the day-to-day routine, but um, something to look forward to as well. Absolutely. And all of this reduces stress. Mm -hmm. All of this reduces the buildup of kind of a chronic, excuse me, chronic traumatic Mm -hmm. situation that some of us may be feeling that we're in right now. Um, Empowerment, planning and preparation, scheduling, rest, Mm -hmm. all of those things also can get us out of kind of having a a larger trauma reaction to Mm -hmm. what we're currently going through. And so what I'm hoping becomes the takeaway, particularly in these family situations, as we kind of, you know, sort of wrap this up, but to say that there are so many fantastic ideas on the internet right now. I mean, it was, it's kind of was fascinating to watch my Pinterest account go from this, that, and the other to how to adapt to COVID and all the at-home things to do with kids is yes, there are so many things to choose from. And that could turn into a, I'm not doing enough as a stay-at-home parent who also needs to be a teacher and a full-time employee and a housewife and whatever but can you take these beautiful suggestions of trolls night or um, Saturday morning pancake breakfast or camping and let it be part of your ritual rather than something that you need to squeeze in amongst everything else. Absolutely. You don't need to have the perfect craft every day. You don't need to arrive to dinner dressed in trolls gear and feathers every night. Let it be something to look forward to. Let that become your Friday night, Saturday morning break from what is a very um, stressful, emotional labor filled activity of simply getting through work and school and everything during the weekdays. Sure, your doses of what's comfortable with Mm -hmm. that schedule um, Mm -hmm. and what your demands are, absolutely. But planning and bringing that in space mm-hmm. for that reduces the stress is something to look forward to or something your kids can feel excited about something you can feel yeah. good about having fit in even if it's one time every two weeks mm-hmm. um it's that you got something lighter than the day-to-day that we're doing yeah. right now. and i think it is um at the very least for whatever control we have that while all of and this is speaks to the adaptability for all of the last minute changes that sort of put us into this shelter and home experience. I mean, I can still remember my head spinning in like three hour increments trying to figure out where we were landing. It does not appear looking globally that we will have that same head spinning reemergence. So planning a couple days out, planning a week out becomes a safe level of looking ahead. And, you know, gosh, if you get to you know, last minute change your camping trip to something that is truly out and away from the house. Well, you know, I feel like that's an easier shift perhaps for some people, but it's the pace has slowed and we can sort of let ourselves adapt to that a little bit in this meantime while we wait. It's getting into it. Mm -hmm. Being in the middle of this, it's, it's settling in for a while. Yes. Yeah. So 
So settle and, and we'll reemerge when we can reemerge because it will happen. We just don't know when. Um, so what about, you know, we talked about the work routine and the kid routine, um, but what about the, the health and fear of livelihood? I mean, there are so many jobs that have become non-essential in this time and everybody's, some people aren't maintaining the same work schedule that they, they once did. Well, there's a, again, a lot more information, I guess, about that. Just like there's a lot of information about kiddos activities at home. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of information about applying for that unemployment, if that's your situation, or that um, kind of stimulus um, that many of us are going to get, um, that amount of money. And also, again, that other unknown with, yes, some jobs have already seemed to have gone away, but what about our job in the next few weeks? What about our company trying to withstand this economic strain, um, potentially kind of needing to make their own changes too with new mm -hmm. budgeting, um, stressors, strains, just like that. And so what I offer up is if a person is falling into that mindset, that worry of unanswered questions, but about livelihood and about financial kind of security, mm -hmm. I would I would suggest that a person then pretty quickly moves into a coping skill, moves into either a physical or mental break, such as listening to a book on tape, um, a podcast, a comedian, watching a quick show, something on YouTube. Don't get stuck in YouTube, but. <laughs> funny brief things on YouTube yep. that one can then hopefully then change back out of or moving your body, walking, running, um, exercising in whatever way, or even just kind of picking up a broom and sweeping the house, but moving out of that state, physically moving out of the state, moving your brain out of that state of worry about that, even temporarily, if it does not feel like you've completely fixed your stress, what it could do is at least stop you from building up too much stress and panic about those thoughts mm -hmm. in those moments and getting overwhelmed and overloaded by instead moving away from that with a walk or something else to do. Another thing in order to kind of counteract that would be maybe the person then makes the effort to look for a job, revamp a resume, uh, make a connection in a network, uh, update LinkedIn or something where they do some piece towards having to kind of manage their career or manage their work outlook. Maybe they're applying for the unemployment in those doses where if it feels like, oh my gosh, I can't do anything about this and I don't know what's going to happen to my job or my livelihood or what I'm going to do next, actually being able to act on some of that. Well, then I'm going to complete my resume. Well, then I'm going to continue that application for the unemployment or for something that's going to bring some money in. I'm going to finally email that person who I've been planning to do. I'm going to look for jobs today and maybe not actually apply to any, but just kind of do something about my situation, empowers people and makes people, again, feel closer to being in a little bit of control and mm -hmm. hopefully, or a lot of control, but hopefully then not building up to that panicked state, but intervening with oneself instead. Um, I like it. It, to me, I hear it as, you know, we have in all of this uncertainty, and in this case, particularly with the job market and what's going to happen, you know, whether you have lost your job or if things feel tenuous, there's a lot, a lot of opportunity to um, do future predictions in a catastrophizing kind of way. 
because we oh, yeah. don't know. There is no answer. Um, I'm in that job myself. I don't know when I get to open my practice again. And it's very easy to spin and catastrophize and wonder what if and get into that future area of uncertainty. And a lot of the, the suggestions that you've provided are coming back to that present moment, either getting in your body, getting in that, that sweeping, moving kind of activity, or finding what you have control over in the present moment when it comes to the job application or understanding what's happening with all of these tax credits and unemployment. Um, and we do have a resource for that for anybody who is looking. Um, our podcast um, last week was Jamie O'Kane, a CPA, talking about all of those resources and untangling them because it's hard to understand in layman's. But those are all things that you can do in the moment. And this would be the opportunity versus looking at the ritual of planning for the future, coming back to what you can control in the moment. And both, both are very important. Yes, all different forms of coping. Mm -hmm. And just to put a psychologist stamp on this, it would be, I would encourage that you actually write these down. So to have three different lists, three different columns. And I actually filmed a blog post as a video about this that's actually on our Catalyst Center website, catalystcenterllc.com, where I describe this again in a little bit more detail. But What we're going to be terrible at doing if we're already feeling stressed, and let's say specifically about kind of our financial well-being and security, Mm -hmm. is to then get creative about what should I do instead of being stressed right now? So I'd like you to write it down beforehand. Have a list on your refrigerator. Have it Mm -hmm. near your computer. Have it somewhere posted where you could go, oh, I think I'll do that walk today. Or, you know, I think I'm going to listen to that one book I've been putting off. Um, Or this is the day I'm going to connect with that person for my job. This is the day Mm -hmm. that I'm going to read that article I was sent about or I found about something to do with employment. Um, But we're going to be having difficulty if we're already rising up to getting Mm -hmm. panicky or feeling overly stressed and spinning on this to then remember the things we should do instead. So I would like in thinking about these categories of a physical option and all those ideas and then a mental one and then kind of a business professional category to have those kind of laid out for little to-dos that we could choose when Mm -hmm. we need to um so that we're also not adding that stressor of thinking of what i should do right now because i'm starting to get really overwhelmed yeah as as well and i love that because it really speaks to our again that animal self that we are that when animals and humans get stressed out we really need to get back to that um, basic instinct and we become we move out of our frontal cortex we move out of our thinking brain and get into the basic instinct of survival and we get really fast at the basic basic instinct and whether that fast is the fight or flight or the i am going to quickly do nothing then (laughs) we become very fast at taking care of ourselves but then also kind of stupid because we're not engaging in that frontal cortex. We are not thinking critically. We haven't di- we're not diving into these higher levels of engagement because we need to be really fast about protecting ourselves. So relying on piece. Yes. Yeah. So relying on our smarts while we have them. <laughs> Writing that list down so that when we um, get into that place of need, we can rely on our really smart self to say, oh, remember, this was what you were going to do. Go. (laughs) Yeah, oh, that's a good idea now or something. Or I know what I could do right now. I have a plan. Yes. Yeah. 
And, and I would even go so far as if, if this um, feels appropriate to you, posting it where you can see it. So it takes out that one last oh, step, yeah, last step of, I have to get off this chair and go find it in my file or on my computer and I don't know where I put it. Stick it on the fridge, stick it on your wall, mm -hmm. you know. Let's reduce any of those stress barriers to mm -hmm. moving into a nice coping skill or a to-do action to feel like we have control over it. Mm -hmm. And I also like um, when it comes to that stress response that gets to be, I don't know what to do anymore. Um, coming up with what I've seen as a, kind of a bottom line mantra, a bottom line of all of these things are scary and stressful, but when it comes down to, I have gone into all of my fear bunny rabbit holes here, bottom line, I am safe in my home and I am grateful for that. Mm -hmm. And it becomes a landing place to maybe find that list and start moving, start doing something productive, but sometimes you just need a place to land. I like that. Yes. Um, any other categories of stress that you're hearing a lot in your practice or, or other thoughts that you have? I know we've kept you here for, for a good chunk of time now, but I want to make sure we cover all things that you see as important. You know, I think we hit on a lot of kind of the, the big ones I've been mm -hmm. reflecting with my clients on the past few days, weeks, thinking about it for myself as I'm also in this situation mm -hmm. and, um, and trying to kind of balance all of the the responsibilities and identities now in, in one single place being my house. <laughs> um, so I would just want to reiterate that feeling stress means we can respond to it. Um, feeling stress is also super normal with what's going on and this unending kind of idea right now. Mm -hmm. um, and that stress can re lead to a development of depression, anxiety, or trauma. And so responding now is going to be really helpful to reduce the long-term effects. Moving the body helps to reduce these long-term effects. Talking to somebody, mm -hmm. like seeking out therapy um, virtually, even by phone is possible right now, mm -hmm. um, is going to reduce long-term effects and we can all get through this. I love ending on that optimistic note that we all can and we will. And we, we're having a lot of um, necessity as the mother of invention. And when we think about things that change us and traumas that change us um, in lighter, easier times, it's easy to forget that it's gritty and hard and it takes a lot of gumption and self-direction. But I really appreciate all the advice and pieces you've given to help direct that gumption so that it can be very productive and nurturing to a really uncertain time. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much for joining us today and sharing all of your wisdom and insight. And again, um, yeah, I tried to thank my therapist for this, but she wanted to hold the container and I appreciate that. So I'm going to thank you and any other therapists that might be listening. Thank you for holding these containers for all of us going through uncertainty while you are doing it yourself. Um, it's, it's no small task. And I know so many people are so grateful and appreciative for that. So thank you for your wisdom and thank you for your work. Absolutely. You're welcome. And um, I appreciate being able to kind of talk with you and speak to this. Thank you for listening to today's episode. I hope you enjoyed what you heard and got a little something out of it. Now remember, the information expressed in these interviews is for informational and not diagnostic or treatment purposes. However, I hope you find that having the right information and resources can go a long way to helping you on your healthcare journey. 
ask the right questions, and seek out professional help.